This is what is coming at us. that doesn't know which castle that pesky princess is in. I'm Paul Salt. I'm your Final Fantasy. <laughs> and today we're going to talk about Inky, Blinky, Pinky and Mario. Because it's gaming. That's what it is. It's gaming. Game night. Game night. Game night, everyone. No chicks allowed. <laughs> or interested. <laughs> uh, electronic video games. Sexist. That played via a personal computer. Apple Macintosh. Bespoke gaming console. Or a phone, I guess. Yeah, okay, well, that's... I didn't understand any of those words until the last one. That's what we're here to work through. So, uh, video games were invented by the Victorians, who would gather around a fireplace and attempt to control the actions of the fiery sprites within, using gestures and careful manipulation of the left thumbstick. 150 years later, we've got Kirby on Switch. (laughs) The rest is history or something. There are an estimated 1.2 billion gamers in the world, around 46% of which are women, uh, 65% of our households in London have a gamer. It's very much like you're never more than three feet away from a rat. If you check your property carefully, <laughs> you've probably got a gamer in it. They respond to the same temptations and poisons, actually, so <laughs> do be careful, for God's sake. Because <laughs> a gamer will come snuffling along. <laughs> yeah, but can you... Is, is it ethical to kill them, though? That's the thing, because, you know, they don't they don't mean any harm. They don't mean to... <laughs> It's not their wreck fault. Wreck everything, but no, it's not their fault. But you try and pluck a gamer in his snap neck from a from a trap <laughs> on a Sunday morning, and then you're down behind the sofa, and it's like, oh look, I found his Sega Saturn. Oh god. Oh my god. This was his nest. It's so well used. Don't tell me that gamers can't feel too. <laughs> oh god. Um, the average age of male gamers is 33, and women gamers 37. Ooh. Yeah. So it looks like in about. You see, most of my friends are female, so in about seven, eight years, yeah, that's gonna. <laughs> hey, Paul, Paul, have you uh, have you heard of these these new things called uh, video games? <laughs> in the middle of the night, just um, hey, have you heard of Quake? <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> I'll send you over a patch. Am I saying it right? Patch? <laughs> no, it's called a disc. <laughs> what? That doesn't mean anything now. It's eight years in the future. You're no longer into video games. Ah, you're into taxes. <laughs> And hardline centrist politics. <laughs> Love it. Love being a hardline centrist. What do we want? <laughs> well, it's complicated. <laughs> Reasonable spending! Well, in addition to all of that, statistics also show that all of those people were gross nerds who still live with their parents and haven't had sex yet and can't even throw a ball good. <laughs> nerds. Yeah. Hate them. I hate them. So, Paul, you head crab. Ah. Uh, it's a waste of time, innit? Playing games. It's kid stuff. I mean, obviously, yes. <laughs> obviously, anyone who plays video games is fat and lonely mm. and sweaty and cheesy and <laughs> particular and perpendicular. <laughs> Bespecular. I'd, what was the question? For every one of these questions, there's always going to be a snarky, wanky mm. counter question. As in, well, it depends what you mean by waste of time, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, in, in, the, grand, in the grand scheme of things, in, you know... With the inexorable heat death of the universe. Yeah. Slowly approaching. I don't know if writing a book is really going to change all that much. <laughs> so when I properly get into a game, mm. and I think the last one that I was properly hooked on was 
What was the last game I played at yours? Was it Wolfenstein 2 or was it... Wasn't it Shadow of War? Shadow of Shadow of War. Yeah, Shadow yeah. of War. And it's not quite a parabola because mm. I start off, there's that learning curve and I start to spend more and more time incrementally on, on the game. Yeah. And then there's the peak when all all I'm doing in my life is is playing a game and that's at the expense of writing, preparing for podcasts. <laughs> but, but then it, it reaches a point where I think, oh shit, I've wasted my time. Why don't I go and create something and, and give back to the world? And then I complete the game very, very quickly and I go back. But actually, that's a that's a very personal thing. And that's mm. a guilt thing that I seem to, I carry with me regardless of gaming or not. Is it a waste of time? I mean, if we really thought so, we probably wouldn't be doing a 17-hour <laughs> podcast episode about it, would we? <laughs> no, I heard it described a really good way by um, the nerd writer who said that what okay. video games do is that they fill spare time with purpose um some hmm. sort of goal that is arbitrarily sort of set for you which otherwise you wouldn't have had or you would have had to have uh, set yourself now for me i just i find it difficult to stop working especially now that my part of my work includes watching movies and writing about them hmm. um it's really difficult for it's me to have fun, that it? suddenly it'll be around midnight and i'll suddenly realize You've done nothing but work today. Even the bit where you went and saw that movie and then got home and wrote about it was work. And now you're transcribing mm. something and it's just like, what have you done for you today? And it's moments like that where I really relish being able to just fucking stop everything and pick up a game controller and just sort of play for a while and not worry about time or other people's expectations. I find that really helpful. That's actually really interesting because that's the exact opposite of how I am around video games. It, video games do have a, exert a lot of control over me, mm. not through any fault of their own. Pretty sure it's an addictive personality thing. Mm. If there were anything else in my life, you know, like when I was addicted to crack. Yeah. Like that, when it sort of took, like had complete sway over everything I did. Mm. I think then I'd feel guilty because I'm not, right. I'm not portioning my time out properly. But inherently in itself, mm. I mean... I go, I, I go back to the heat death of the universe. What what is what is a waste of time? <laughs> Let's really. get back to that. They're an amazing. Yeah, but look, death. Okay, <laughs> we've, we've all heard the, the the studies about improving hand eye coordination. Yes, about um getting getting your nice ghostly white skin. Um, in a matter of days. Well, let's let's just focus for the, on that okay. for a minute because there are actually I've read quite a few cognitive benefits. Um, in addition to sort of speeding up the the functioning speed of the brain, mm. there's also a thing where it actually helps you I find things because what you're doing when you're playing like an FPS is very quickly scanning a potentially very difficult you know user interface uh, in order to find the thing that you need to find. So it kind of makes it makes you quicker at doing things like that. Uh, dyslexia has apparently helped because you're sort of translating information and, you know, put it and, mm. you know, reacting accordingly. So it actually helps with dyslexia. Um, and it also is apparently better at focusing your attention more so than television, where, you know, you're very much a passive participant in sort of just watching it. Whereas with video games, you sort of have to stay focused or you won't do very well. Now, this 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 may be hearsay, but I'm pretty sure there was a study that mapped brain activity watching mm. TV versus looking at a white wall. Yeah. And the whole idea whole idea of it was when you're staring at a white wall, your brain actually has to do some some work, some legwork to think yeah. of things and to entertain yourself. <laughs> Whereas a, a TV really does just pipe it into your, to your mainframe. Well, surely it's so, going to be different parts of the brain i mean maybe the imagination part of the brain but 
I find when I'm watching TV, mm. my mind's going all over the place. I'm literally brain dead. <laughs> all the films I've seen, just, yeah, nothing in there anymore. <laughs> but oh, the that was pretty think... good, wasn't it, Paul? 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 Paul! Oh, he's okay. Yes? Oh, you just did it. <laughs> did the thing again. You did the death. <laughs> he did the brain death thing. Oh. It's so more, considerably more interactive than, than mm. watching TV is. It even makes your eyes go weird if you're playing Guitar Hero for too long. And it you know, <laughs> looks like it's like you're on acid when you're walking around your house for about 15 minutes afterwards. It's great. Well, it's interesting the ways in which games can affect your actual life. Like, um, you start looking at things in certain ways. People used to, I think maybe this was nicknamed the Tetris effect for a while. That when right. playing Tetris, you'd start stacking things. For me, it was most palpable when I got stuck on Portal for a long time. And just <laughs> wandering around, I'd think, that wall's portable. That one isn't. Like... <laughs> I seem to remember you telling me, like, back in back in university when playing Call of Duty, you'd suddenly start yeah. looking around your environment for sort of snipers and such. Open windows would be perfect to lob a grenade in. It was like, oh, brilliant, <laughs> I could clear a room out there. <laughs> You're stealth walking around the university. I had it really recently playing Uncharted 4. Oh, yeah. Walking around Frankfurt with Nell and looking at little, low, you know, low-lying ledges <laughs> outside walls and going, oh, I could probably climb up that if I had my grappling hook with me. Yeah. I think that's true, because for me, I just go to all the times that gaming had a real positive impact on me, had just, you know, had a really emotional experience, perhaps more so than, you know, certain films I've watched, and just, I find myself getting really invested sometimes, and it's it's different if it's like a Ubisoft-style tick box exercise, where it's like, here's a map, mm. all these areas are covered, please uncover them, and make all of these green dots go yeah. blue by doing a thing, and it's like... I like those games, but I usually acknowledge them for what they are, which is kind of like a, I guess, like a Sudoku puzzle. It's just something to occupy your hands and mind. And those are distinct from the sort of really the the experiences that you can have with a game. But sometimes it can surprise you. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Mm. I would equate playing a video game in your lounge to watching the most absorbing film in a cinema with in, in in a cinema where nobody takes their phone out, nobody's <laughs> sucking a fucking straw in a weird, irritating way, aggressive way. It's London for you, and there's just no <laughs> external factors influencing that. It's just you, the screen, and the the controller. But may, maybe yeah. even even more so. And it means that when those when those gut punches come, and they do come, mm. I've wept at many a video game. Yeah, and, me too. Uh, I'm not afraid to say so. <laughs> so yes, there is. An, uh, an assertion level against it that video games one of the cognitive ways in which it reprograms you is in making you more predisposed to violence well say you sir i say i say fuck fuck off i'll hunt you down and kill you <laughs> ah, you ah rape your mum. Um, i mean gamers don't necessarily make the point better is the thing by you know things like gamergate <laughs> Fuck you! When we don't have a problem with women, let me send you another photoshopped picture of you getting raped. Yeah, it's that'll prove the, it. The, the thing is, Anita Sarkeesian said that typically, the less mm. you think that you are influenced by video game violence, the more influenced you are by video game violence. <laughs> so I can, I can also understand why people disagreed. You know, disagreed with a lot of what she said. You know, with a lot of her logic. Oh, wait, you disagree with that statement? Uh, yes. Oh, okay, cool. So looking into it a little, I do. Like, the folding ideas guy, who's really cool, he Mm. suggests the likeliness of going out and sort of killing someone as a result of video games is, you know, very unlikely. But maybe it can pre-program you to respond well to aggression. Because Mm -hmm. you play a game, it's really difficult, you become frustrated, 
you play a game more aggressively and now you have success. So it's like rewarding mm. that instinct. Okay. That I can understand and that I can maybe relate to. I do find myself quite irritable and maybe gaming had a impact on that. It's hard to say. But um, actually crossing the line and thinking it's okay to murder people? No, I don't think video games can make mm. you make that a I think decision. aggression and yeah, aggression and violence are totally different things, believe it or mm. not. And I think you can definitely draw the line between the two. You can be an aggressive businessman or an aggressive <laughs> sportsman or... Patrick Bateman type. OJ Simpson type. That's just homicidal. Stop <laughs> twisting my words, Salt. <laughs> OGT gate. It, it doesn't help that video games are just... They're the latest in a long line of scapegoats. It, you know, yes, rock, that's rock definitely music, true. Rap music, violent movies and, yeah. and so on and so forth. It's an easy solution. It's very easy to understand, to point to and say... Hey, look, this kid who just killed a whole bunch of people spent the weeks before he did it killing people fictionally. So clearly that had an impact on that. And it's like, and Trump, yeah. you know, is meeting with games people um, because it's just the, the video games lobby is not as strong as the NRA lobby yeah. or actually putting money into decent mental health support. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is with people like that, you know, what what teenager isn't listening to, yeah. to hip hop or metal and playing video games? And if he's playing video mm. games, he's probably not playing Parappa the Rapper anymore, is he? <laughs> Most people have played yeah. Grand Theft Auto and, you know, 99.999% don't think, hey, I'm tired, let's go sleep with a prostitute. That will, that will <laughs> see you, right? take the money. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen. Yes, there are outliers, but yeah. are they influenced by video games or do they just coincidentally play video games yeah i think it's oversimplifying it weirdly i find my tastes changing as i get older and that i'm not necessarily drawn to games like that anymore i think when you're a kid there's an interest in sort of pushing the boundary your own yeah. boundaries and being like what can i put up with you know you eventually yeah. i just went get over that once you've watched your third mm. dario argento film <laughs> as we all did <laughs> Right of passage. I definitely went a softer way. I went the JRPG route. Yeah. You don't want to be completely cynical, but is it saying, well, you know, we haven't got a, an amazing game here, but it is horrendously violent mm. and it's bound to cause some knee jerks across the uh, yeah. across society. So is that going to get us more traffic than the game is potentially worth? I mean, I remember playing Carmageddon and that was reviled, but it wasn't great. Yeah. But look at something like, and I know we'll talk about some games like this very soon, but look at a game like Wolfenstein 2. Mm. which was extraordinarily violent with sort of hatchet deaths and very bloody mm. cutscenes involving yeah. horrible things happening to good people. And yet it uses these devices to tell a really positive story about a very inclusive story yeah. as well. So I've anything else about sort of breaking assumptions and mm. just being who you are. And it's very surprising. It was John Wickian. I, I think it <laughs> added to that crazy hyper real, hyper real situation like a uh, scenario. Yeah. yeah where it was funny and it was ent yes. it was entertaining they kind of got there by having really well fleshed out characters and a story that you actually yes. gave a shit about and a story that yeah. never stopped twisting and turning it's a full package yeah and i don't remember wolfenstein 2 getting hammered by um i don't think so so maybe it's when there's nothing so. else to concentrate on maybe. although having said that grand theft auto games are almost always. i was just thinking grand great theft auto. yeah they're almost always yeah. really good sometimes they'll overstep the mm. mark because what they're trying to do is offer a really kind of um exaggerated cynical view of society and that steps into frankie boyle territory Fairly often, which is why it's you know, <laughs> yeah. no accident that Frankie Ball actually appeared in the expansion pack for Grand Theft Auto 4. Marvellous. But yeah, as a result, people will come on and say, look, this game encourages you to get drunk and then drive a car. 
it's bad. And, you know, anyone who's actually played it will see, <laughs> no, if you try and drive a car whilst drunk in Grand Theft mm. Auto 4, you're going to crash, get arrested. Yeah, I think this is your the main... Date, if you're on a date, they'll get very upset with you. Like, there's consequences. Yeah, this is the main distinction that is never drawn, is if you if you do decide mm. to run over a few people or, you know... Just start shooting. Yeah, then you get the police coming after you, and then eventually you get the army coming after you. There's a definite, <laughs> you know, there's moral cause and effect there. It's not, it's not like, um... Yeah. There, there, there was a game that was, was it State of Emergency that was basically all oh, rules sure. are off. And I think it was Rockstar as well. Just State of Emergency, just do whatever. And again, that game sort of <laughs> just kind of fell into that oblivion death. because didn't have <laughs> yeah. anything more than that. It was just, it was a one note game. Grand Theft Auto, actions have consequences. The appeal of playing a video game like that is, I'm never going to do that in real life. Yeah. It's a fantasy that you never had, so... There's a certain forbidden sort of fruit about it. There is. And if there weren't consequences, I don't think it would be terribly fun to play. Yeah. If you could just sort of veer off the road, run over a dozen people and come back onto the road again and just keep driving and nothing happens. Yeah. <sighs> like, that would be tremendously boring. <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, I've com- it completed the game then. Wait to it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, again, yeah. you one suspects that the people who complain about this game have never played it. The same, the same goes for most people who knee-jerk about anything via the Daily Mail. True. Via the Daily Mail or the yeah. Guardian, depending on your um, <laughs> depending on what you're reacting to. <laughs> yeah, the Salman Rushdie incident comes to mind, where sort of people were burning the book, having not actually read it. And if they'd have read it, they'd have gone, "Oh, it's not actually that good." <laughs> so, <laughs> oh god, this is like Manhunt. <laughs> <laughs> there was one very well-read person at the burning. Like, um, so so why are you burning it? Well, I just think this is a major step in the wrong direction after Midnight's Children. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we've summed up why gaming is not a waste of time. Now, yeah, <laughs> it's rewarding, goddammit. Okay, we've read that there are demographics suggesting that there are many different types of gamer, of many different ages, even ethnic groups that spread ac- spreads across. Why then does the stereotype of the nerd playing video games persist? Is it because stereotypes are outdated and bullshit and they very rarely change? <laughs> and there was just one that was established in the 80s when all, yeah. all that gaming was was going to arcades, which were just nerd pens, basically. Well, I think early days of gaming, in order to do it, you had to have a certain level of tech awareness. You had to be able to mm. program a little bit and, you know, get your Amiga yeah. working, that kind of thing. And it wasn't very accessible to people who didn't have technical knowledge. Yeah, I think so. And I think they're also, again, the extremes, the outliers, when you see on the news that a Korean guy didn't eat for yeah 120 hours or something because or sleep because he was playing a game and you immediately extrapolate that to the rest of the society yeah because because humans like to make sense of things but consequently just make broad sweeping generalizations which is it's, it's kind of silly really because i mean for as long as i've really been a gamer there have been sports games that all of my mates who when yeah. i was a teenager and a 10 year old kid were definitely not nerds uh-huh. would play I remember my big old track and field days <laughs> on the PS1 and yeah. the, the the appeal has been widespread for a long, long time. I guess it just makes more sense to sort of fit gaming yeah. into that niche. I don't know. Well, going the opposite way is are these guys who do conform to this stereotype who are now practicing sort of gatekeeping. And I don't know why. It may seemingly need to keep games just for them. But suddenly it's like people come out and say, look, other people are playing video games. And it's like, yeah, but what kind of games? Yeah. And, you know... Oh, there's a tremendous amount of female gamers now, and it's like, yeah, but what kind of games are they playing, though? Is it mostly mm. Farmville? <laughs> you know, is it sort of pet simulators and 
puzzle games, <laughs> you know, is it not, are they not really sitting down for the hundred plus hour RPG experiences? Mm. And the female gamers I know did. Yes. Like, I know girls who played WoW and who played um, Gyrim for a tremendous amount of time. Yeah. I used to have switches and stuff. So when I was yeah. um, from sort of the age of 15 to 20, I gamed with a, a friend and she, we used to play the early Wolfenstein enemy territory, the, the free to play oh, yeah. game. Um, right. Which was amazing fun, but she would wipe the floor with just about anybody who would come on. Yeah. So for as long as I've known, really, I've always known female yeah. gamers. There's some evidence here to suggest there are different types of game that are popular with yeah. each gender. But part of me wonders how, to what extent that's marketing. Yeah. And to what extent that's lack of female representation in those kinds of games. Like, mm. do women feel a bit embarrassed or stigmatized in saying, yes, I like playing call of duty you know is the is that seen as kind of a blokish thing to do and in some way not something women should be confessing to it's Possibly. i don't know i wonder about external factors to things like that because i continue to believe that there's very little difference between the genders when you get really right down to it yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't really want to say because i don't know enough yeah about it and i'd, I'd hate to say something that wasn't founded on absolutely nothing mm. All I have really is anecdotal evidence that I have played with female gamers in the past, the exact games that I've played. And yeah. I think we're still in that generation that's going to be happy about things. And of course, hopefully a couple of generations down the road, down the road, there won't be any need to be excited about certain things. But it's like the feeling when I see an interracial couple in public and I think, yay, they're not afraid. Yeah. And it's like, really, what I <laughs> yeah. should think is just nothing. <laughs> I should just look at it as yeah. if I was looking at a wall and then push right past them because they're in front of me on the escalator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, we're we're part of that generation where we're still just aware enough of discrimination and shitty things in the world that we yeah. are happy when we see certain things. And yeah, when we hear about a, a woman breaking gender conventions by playing, you know, games that aren't sort of expected of her, we will become sort of happy. And that's just, you know, that's a fucked up thing to do, really, because... Yeah, well, it doesn't, doesn't matter, of course, she has every right to play these games, and in some ways we're sort of feeding into the system that would deny this experience of them. Or it could be that women and men really are different. Oh, women are from <laughs> Chicago. Dagenham. And men are from... Chelsea. Boston. Yeah. What The only thing we can really do to make a positive change is just not discriminate, not yeah. sort of dismiss people who enjoy casual games as not real gamers. Yeah, for and, sure. And um, recommend good games. To everyone, regardless of anything, um, any context. <laughs> Here you go, Gran. <laughs> Abe's Odyssey, get on it. No, press X. <laughs> Give it here. <laughs> Fucking noob. <laughs> this is very unpleasant, Paul. This is gaming. <laughs> I, have, I actually have the best memory of my granddad playing me in Mortal Kombat, losing and just throwing the controller. <laughs> like it was an, <laughs> the unbreakable Tesseract or something. <laughs> I, do, I will say, though, that we need more, just as we need more female directors of films, we do need more women getting involved in the actual production of games. Because until then, you're just going to end up with very condescending sort of, oh yeah, we'll put this in as a concession to the ladies. And it's just, you know, yeah. one of the best games recently was uh, the Tomb Raider remake yeah. in 2013. 2013 being the best year for video games possibly ever. <laughs> um and the Tomb Raider remake was written by um, Rihanna Pratchett, and it was, you know, really great. And really, she's a really cool figure. Uh, Lara Croft is in this game for um, girls and guys can look at and be like, "Hey, that's awesome." Yeah, for sure. I like think the that. main the main thing is as as long as there are more women 
applying for these jobs, then yeah, we can you know have more women doing it. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's move on. On to one of the trickier sort of discussions around video games that exists is the discussion of can video games be art or are they just a sport mm. slash pastime? Roger Ebert sparked a big sort of controversy <laughs> back in 2005 mm. when he said that video games can never be art. And the reason he gave was that no one in or out of the field has been able to cite a game worthy of comparison with the great dramatists, poets, filmmakers, novelists, or, and composers. So that's a that's kind of an elitist argument, because rather than saying the nature of interactivity is discounting this, mm. ex, this from being art, he's actually saying there just hasn't been anything good enough yet. Which would which is incorrect. Yeah. And in, Even 2005 in 2005 would have been incorrect yeah. as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I would just say that maybe Roger Ebert hasn't played all the video games. Yes. And never will. <laughs> yeah. Especially never, now. Never did. That's that's it, because even at the time, like you say, there was stuff. But since then, we've had, you know, the rise of the indie movement and actual art yeah. games and sort of interactive art pieces. Mm. And, you know, there have been displays in the Smithsonian of video games. And mm. it's just it's there's so much uh, that has happened since that might make him reconsider if he could. How do you define art? Well, I always thought of it as like a method of communication in which the artist yeah. tries to express a thought or a feeling or an idea. And um, the distinctions between a thought and an idea are manyfold. I won't get into them here, yeah. but they're extraordinary. No. Um, a diverse range of human activities in creating visual, auditory, or performing artifacts, expressing the author's imaginative or te technical skill. Interesting, that's the, dis the distinction between a sort of artist and artisan there, I think, in expressing the author's technical skill in the same way that Oh, look at this guy. Look at the wicker basket this guy just made. It's a work of art. <laughs> oh, fuck me. That's a five-star <laughs> wicker basket there, son. <laughs> so we're getting into whether or not something that's very well crafted can be art. Like, is Tetris mm. art because of how elegant it is? It's not necessarily well, communicating I mean, an idea, but it's so perfectly made. I, I, it, it's communicating an idea of, of simplicity and... Yes. Uh, you know, a very Japanese style of internal decorating, maybe. Interior <laughs> decorating, sorry. Internal decorating sounds horrible. <laughs> also Russian. But when you look at... Yeah. <laughs> when you look at that Russian, Japanese, some would, some would argue I both. Think, I think you're fine. You're splitting hairs, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there'd be riots in the streets. I'm going to cut it out so I just say say Russian for every adjective now. And adjective <laughs> noun. Yeah. Um, the thing about this, when, when you look at the... <laughs> yeah. It's Russian, Russian, Russian. It's Russian, Russian, Russian. I should have recorded more than one Russian. <laughs> when you look at the dictionary definition there, that encompasses video gaming for it me. It does. I don't know about you, but that just covers everything. Yeah. I do have to be a little self-aware with this because one thing I saw is that I think Nerdwriter again was saying that one thing that people want to do is say that things that they love a lot are art. You know, they don't want mm. it because it's belief that art just means very good. And they don't want people saying, oh, video games can never be art because it's, they interpret that as meaning, oh, video games yeah. can only be so good and never as good as like movies, which is, of course, incorrect. Yeah. But then the, yeah. the other examples that Nerdwriter gave was stuff like, you know, when people will have similar arguments about advertising, can advertising be art? And suddenly mm. I felt myself tense up a bit like, ooh, can it? Ooh, I don't know, mm -hmm. about, don't know about that. Like, it can. Jonathan Glazer made brilliant it... advertisements. Yeah. And it's articulating yeah. an idea, the idea of buy this. I mean, I, I guess it can be. And I, th I think um, 
we can go back to our discussion of the square as well in last yeah. week's episode and yeah. the, the the you know the gentle poking your fun at, at modern art a lot of people yeah. would argue that would even argue that modern art is not art but <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think it's safe and i don't think it needs to worry that much it's pretty yeah. it's pretty much art at this stage but i would see that art and i would see um transformers the last night art unfortunately yeah. i won't watch it it's bad art but i don't much like a lot of the art that i've seen in the national gallery for example but mm. it's still art yeah you know? it, yeah it's not um, about taste is the thing and i think maybe yeah, some critics exactly. have that difficulty there's a bit in the square where christian asks uh, elizabeth wealth's character if we take your bag and put it in yeah. an exhibit does that make it art and my immediate gut reaction was, it depends why you did it. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine's friend was dating somebody who worked as a, a buyer for galleries. I right. went in and looked at all the different exhibitions and went, oh, this is great. This is great. How about this? This is amazing. Right. And this, the curator goes, that's just my glass of water. I put it on a stool there. I was thirsty. <laughs> and that's what the square pokes fun at. It's what makes it art and what doesn't make yeah. it art. It's a really interesting question. And it is. I, I, I think that... Video games haven't been that abstract yet to mm. to actually question whether, you know, if it was just a regular piece of art, you yeah. would make you question whether it is actually art. Does it fall yeah. under the remit of art? <laughs> Video games have are still, for all their inventiveness, they're still very much, you know, an expression, um, an interchange people can engage with, participate in. Yeah, they're you know exhibitions in their own own right in in yeah. unique ways, and that includes Manhunt. Yeah. Especially Manhunt. <laughs> but in terms of being able to tell a story, it definitely can. Because if you look at things like hmm. Gone Home, for example. And what's interesting yeah. is whether or not... Because some people have said, well, it doesn't, it can't be art because the spectator engages with it and does too much of it themselves. And it's like, what art, what good art doesn't ask for the yeah. spectator to engage with it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, when I watch a movie, I'm engaging, I'm trying to interpret, I'm bringing mm. my own shit to it, and, you know, that that's what I'm doing. And surely that's what people are doing with video games as well, just because, you know, they may decide to go down one hall or the other. I don't want to oversimplify it, but it, mm. it really just seems like a... It's just a <coughs> bit of a prejudice there for games, yeah. because... In in it's they're they're a very still a very new art form. Even cinema has been going for at least six years longer than video games. <laughs> at least, and you know, like like with gamers being nerds and yeah, think and stereotypes like that. I guess gaming still has that. It's that niche. Is there anybody who plays video games who would say I don't think these could be considered art? Uh, yeah. Well, again, maybe maybe not the women playing yeah. playing pretend games. <laughs> um, and it's interesting that sort of gaming is coming of age now that we are the first mm. generation who grew up with video games it wasn't a novelty it wasn't yeah. something that was introduced to us in our teens like hey have you seen this and it's like oh mm. that's quite good we grew up with them yeah and they were just part of our yeah. lives and now people our age are getting old enough to not only sort of work as programmers but maybe even start working their way into management into um producing mm. into actually driving these games um and that can only be a good thing. And it really, if you think about it, with the movies parallel, we're in the 1920s. You know, that's mm. that's where we're at. So we're at German Expressionism. We're at D.W. Griffith. <laughs> we're at pioneers who are trying different ways of engaging people. But just think mm. of the fucking future ahead of us if this is the parallel. You know, we've not had our Goddard yet. Oh. <laughs> God. The, pe- the, the people who are going to make this art form great are still just playing it now. 
And it, it is great, yeah. is the thing. There's so many ways in which storytelling is being explored. Games like Her Story, which bring out just a brand new way of playing the game. It's just a really interesting way of exploring a narrative that I can't make any comparison with. What other... Like, how else would you tell this story? Have it as a film, where it's just like a series of four interviews with this woman, or maybe a book mm. where they're just written out? Nothing would have this similar impact. And the same goes with Gone Home, where you're encouraged to explore an old family home. Yeah. What other medium could you tell a story like that in? No- nothing that would be that interactive. There's nothing yeah. else out there like it, which you can say about any art form, yeah. probably. But everything you know, has. If you, want to, if you want to really split hairs, but it all has its strengths and weaknesses. Every yeah. form, every kind of media, but none of them dismiss mm. it from being art. No, and and then when you look at all of the games that have come out and are continuing to coming out, and you see how they're 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 pushing the envelope of what games can be, yeah, and they're they're taking genres and just chewing them up mm. and constantly innovating yeah. and finding new interesting ways to interact with its audience yeah. and you have a consumer audience who engage in these things and discuss them mm. and come up with fan theories in the same way that films and TV are discussed yes, absolutely. and write fan fiction and yeah. you know pe- people ape the art people yeah. are influenced by it to create more of it yeah. and I guess you could say the same about a really great carpenter who's inspired you to make chairs but sure. but it's not just that mm. there are there's everything else that we've mentioned yeah and that for me, that for me makes it art I saw an article with Kotaku which um was arguing that there's a problem mm. with video games being both an art and a product but there are so many art forms which isn't all art kind of a product to be consumed hasn't it always been there's always been in everything painting there's always been a patron yeah, yeah there's always been a patron there's always been the need to try and have mass appeal it's very difficult to just be yeah. you know having watched loving vincent recently and realizing the pressures that van gogh was under to try and make commercial mm. stuff you know when he tried to just sort of yeah. express himself there's always been that sort of dichotomy between the business side of being an artist and the expressive side of being an artist yeah look at the stringent uh literary world nowadays mm. it's entirely about product and what's marketable yeah. well 90 99 <laughs> <laughs> i think we've won this conversation cool. <laughs> well one other thing is that there's an interesting dichotomy i've discovered between ludologists and narratologists okay now a narratologist will say Video games are a narrative like anything else and should be reviewed and discussed in the same way that movies and graphic novels and everything else is. They're quite broad. Mm. Ludologists will insist, no, video games are different and need to be considered in a different way because of the agency that players have in them. Um, And I couldn't help but think of, and I know we're going to discuss this more in a minute, I couldn't help but think of The Last of Us, Mm. which has a very controversial ending to it in which uh, Joel is forced to do something horrible and you as a player have to do it you can delay Mm. doing it you can stop playing the game but you're not given a choice and some Mm. people hated that they were like well no this is a video game I should have a choice and it's like no no that doesn't have to be the experience sometimes a game can just make you do something you have to be in this person's situation and you have to do it the way it has to be done but you're going to have to pull the trigger. Mm. You do it. And that is unique. This yeah. idea that you can... 
and I've had that moment with so many other things, like Life is Strange. I think everyone, when the final decision comes up, I think everyone just sort of walks away from the console for a bit and has to spend a good <laughs> 10, 20 minutes agonizing. You know, no need to be a narratologist or, or a ludologist. You can um, you can have, have a bit of both, I think. And that's, that's what makes... Yeah. That's what made games so amazing. That surprise of expecting yeah. to be able to do what you want with the with the game <laughs> and suddenly being told no. I, I think it's really great to have a game where you are sort of forced to make one decision. Um, mm. Oh god, the uh, the Stanley Parable as a game played with a lot of these ideas as oh, a very gosh, intelligently yeah. made game, um, and it includes sort of mold decisions that are sort of very artificial and things like that to sort of really just experiment with how people interact with a game. Mm. And you have things like that. We have things that have such meta-narrative and self-awareness. You do... It's an art. It really has to be. There's no other way of describing this. All right. Well, a couple of... Just one or two other points on it being art before we move on. DLC. Downloadable content. Yes. Um, Extra little episodes, missions, things. They get released after the fact that sort of either tell a bit more of the story or whatever it'd be kind of like a director sort of and i know peter jackson did do this in lord of the rings um he once said that he's probably the only director in the world who continued working on a movie after it won an oscar (laughs) like Mm. he went back to film more extended stuff before the blu-ray release the dvd release so kind of like that dlc obviously is a bit notorious Mm. for, for for actually making up part of the game proper and well there's cynical stuff behind it and positive stuff yeah EA, but there's yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, I guess that is that is pretty much singular to games, it's, with the exception of of Lord of the Rings. Yes, which as a product makes sense, like as an mm. expansion pack, mm. trying to get more out of your thing. But mm. as an art form, as an art piece, it's that it doesn't have many parallels unless it's like an author returning to their work. If you think of people like Conan Doyle, mm. sort of writing Sherlock at a story at a time, it's like, or Don Quixote coming out in chapters over a, extre- a long time. I guess it's kind of like that, sort of just adding a bit more. Is it kind of, or is it kind of like releasing um, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them? It's just sure, letting, letting or, somebody um, go back yeah. into the world, you know, or a, or a spin-off or something like that. It's just, it's very particular to video games. I was thinking Slade House to... Um, exactly, but better than that. Yeah. <laughs> but good yeah you can release dlc you can add yeah. to the game after it's after it's completed um that just makes it all the more immersive and engaging an art form for me absolutely well finally what about when it changes that art though now mass effect 3 yes came out is generally considered to be a very good game but mm. with a very disappointing ending uh, not to go into spoilers, but there are a lot of questions left um, unanswered, and the fate of the characters that you've come to love is left very open, and there's eh. a lot of strong implications yeah. from what you see. And yeah. also, people felt that a game that has so comprehensively rewarded player choices throughout uh, mm. suddenly provided just three endings that you could pick at will with no real impact from what you've done for the rest of the game. And that yes. proved very controversial. There was Mm -hmm. a petition to have it changed, and it did get changed. They released uh, DLC, which gave an extended cut, which gave a longer ending, which had more player choices represented, um, and basically a kind of Fallout 3-style montage of what the world is like, Okay, uh, as well as answering a lot more questions. So that's interesting, isn't it? (laughs) 
It's very interesting. Um, mm. I mean, when yeah, when people did that with the Last Jedi, I yes. immediately poo-pooed it and, and said, "Well, it's just self-entitled." Yeah, um, thinking that this is going to change anything and just trying to take the movie away from people. But yeah. and thinking they know better um, than the actual author. Yeah, and yeah. yet with video games, whether because there is that interaction there, there is yeah. that um, there is that route from gamer to to developer. Uh. That, you know just through the console through the internet connection i don't know it's it just seems everyone seems a lot more in touch with every level of it yeah i mean um, i signed that petition it was 2012 mm. i was you know six years younger than i am now yeah and yeah. i'm trying to think if it happened today would i still do it or would i say mm. no i respect what they were trying to do you'd just the be disappointed is, I did have, yeah i did have problems with that ending i found myself tearing up in the credits and I found mm. myself thinking during, like, it's so beautiful. That's why I'm crying right now. Oh, no, wait, it doesn't make any sense. We both put hundreds of hours into that trilogy. And yes. um, hundreds, because I think I played Mass Effect 2 about yeah. 10 times. Yeah, at le- yeah. At least. Um, <laughs> I played as a Paragon. I played as a Renegade. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and, and I think it just felt cheap. If, if Lord of the Rings mm. would have ended... <laughs> Just before he, they got to Mount Doom, and then it cuts to Bilbo on the boat going, bye, everyone. You go, oh, maybe I'm going to push for something more, you know, more from this. You'd feel cheated after 12, 12 hours of, yeah. of story. It's an interesting phenomenon that people felt that they could do that and were justified in doing that, for sure. And, and that it worked, <clears throat> and that the game is better for it, because I do prefer this ending. I think most people do. I think maybe yeah. just... Ultimately, fans have a right to react. Like, those Last Jedi guys have a right to fill in a petition. The director yeah. stood by what he did and said, no, <laughs> we did the right yeah. thing. Disney stood by what the director did and said, no, we're not going to make yeah. this non-canon because a few thousand of you are saying, you know, of the millions <laughs> yeah. are saying that yeah. you disliked it. We're not going to change and... it. And I think, the fact is, EA didn't stand by its guns. It said, okay, maybe we have room to expand here. And they didn't do so in a cynical, happy ending, everybody gets ice cream kind of way. It's yeah. still a dark ending. It's still kind of depressing. But it's much yeah. better laid out and makes a lot more sense. So maybe they just need, felt they needed to go back and just clarify it. It's an interesting way of sort of interacting between the artist and the art. And there are yeah. various directors who wishes that they could keep changing. You know, George Lucas comes to mind. Keep changing the <laughs> piece once it's out there. But, yeah. um, you know, nobody's asking for these changes. Okay. Chris Melasinos, writing for Time magazine, said, I believe that video games will prove to be one of the most important mediums of art that humanity has ever had at its disposal. There's so much interest here. There's so much good stuff happening. and so many ways in which it can interact with people. I feel like you just can't dismiss it out of hand. Nor should you say that it's for any one specific group of people or that Mm. it's a waste of time because there's just so much to explore for everyone. It's an art form still in its infancy. It's finding its legs and it's already doing some pretty incredible things. And it must have been the same when cinema was stretching its legs and expanding its horizons back in 1978 when it started. (laughs) Yeah, when it just started and it was just sort of quiz shows and the Queen's Coronation. Who would have known? That one day, yeah. you'd have had narcos. That <laughs> speaks for itself. Beautifully said. <laughs> okay, now that we've defended the idea of playing games, perhaps we could make some suggestions as to the kind of games you all might want to have a go at. And mm. what better way to do that than to have a look at a top ten of sorts? 
Oh, we love that. Yay! Another one! Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, let's let's talk about some stuff that's not in the list, just to really test okay. people's patience. Um, <laughs> there are no fighting games in my list, but I love fighting games. I'm not very good at yep. them, I should say. It's kind of like racing <laughs> games, and as much as I, l- I enjoy the experience of playing them, but I al- almost always yeah. hit that skill limit. I broke more than one controller playing Soul Blade. Oh, uh, for sure. Um, Tekken 2, I was quite good at. Tekken 2, I was... I was No, Tekken 2 and 3, in fact, I was good at. And yeah. all the combos... 3 was my cool. favourite. And I love the crazy campy story that, that follows yeah. it. I think it's wonderful. <laughs> the closest thing to getting into my top 10 was Mortal Kombat X, the last okay. Mortal Kombat to be released just a few years ago. 2015, I think? What a fucking great game, because not only did it continue Mortal Kombat 9's really rich story with really interesting mm. characters and questioning a lot of things like revenge and notions like that nine proved to be really progressive a lot of people complained hey it's kind of weird how chesty all of the heroes of mortal kombat are in mortal kombat Mm -hmm. nine you're telling a great story but people are feeling weird about playing a really interactive emotional story featuring a woman wearing a bikini (laughs) oh um and they fucking they fucking listened and they have really great characters in nine that don't have their tits just out Oh. And um, who, you know, there's a gay character in there and it's it's not even like that's not their arc. Mm. It's just a thing about them. And it's, yeah, really impressed and surprised by Mortal Kombat 10. Oh. And it's gory as fuck. Yeah, great. Which is what we like. <laughs> Men, PS1 era, Medal of Honor, mm. old Call of Duties. Right. There was that cinematic narrative to them. Yes, it all felt like who can do the beach sequence from Safe and Private Ryan the best. Yeah. <laughs> Real-time strategy games where you sort of command, uh, deal with resources. There's kind of one on my list, but not really. Mm. I really loved Age of Empires when I was a kid, Age of Empires 2. The excitement of seeing a civilization grow and get better, yeah. and it's you who's doing it, is really exciting. Uh, Warcraft, Total War, Civilization. Mm. Come I love these games. Command and Conquer no was, was mine. That was my jam as a kid. Yeah. Few One of the few times I played had LAN parties was uh, for Command and Conquer. And I was tr- horrendous at them. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I, I got good enough that I could just build a massive wall around my enemy. <laughs> I was oh. the Donald Trump of oh. that fictional fucking world. <laughs> oh, the, the the killjoy of Command and Conquer. Ha <laughs> 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 ha. Games over. Empires. They would just run out of fucking resources. It's just, it's, it's the game equivalent of stabbing the ball. <laughs> no more fun. I just want to say a quick, I just want to say a quick love letter to Atari. It was the first console that yeah. I ever had. Oh, lovely. And um, I, I loved the the garage band lo-fi <laughs> cassettes that you played all these games off. The, the colours yeah. and the artwork were just so, just so rich. And I have just amazing memories of wa- waking up in the middle of the night, not able to sleep. And my dad coming up and us playing Black Lamp and Track and Field oh. on, on the Atari. Just, just a- until I got tired again. And well, that's brilliant. Just, just these, just these gorgeous little stories, and yeah, yeah, that was the first that I properly got into it, and then everything really got kicked into gear when one Christmas we got a Mega Drive with, uh, oh man, with uh, Mortal Kombat and the Blood Code written in it from uh, a dad, from my dad's <laughs> friend. <laughs> Thanks, Graham. <laughs> you, you made me. <laughs> um, I'd like to make an honourable mention to just two franchises that are not in my top ten, but which I love. First of all, Legacy of Kane. I've always loved them because it had the richest mm. story and just the most fun world. But gameplay-wise, yeah. like you could make the best game ever made by taking bits and pieces from each one of them. Uh, Soul Reaver <laughs> yeah. 2 is my favorite because I got it with my PS2 and it was just like 
the the improvement in graphics was so extraordinary. I just it, it's really got a special mm-hmm. place in my heart. The Arkham trilogy. Let's forget Origins for now. Yes. Um, Arkham, <laughs> Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight. Fucking great games. Best superhero games. Oh yeah ever made um i love them but again yeah not quite room i love the mechanics the com- the combat mechanics were fantastic oh, man. and so influential the voice acting we got mark hamill <laughs> you know he, he later good. came out and said he hated them all um <laughs> yay not canon okay <laughs> so let's talk about our top tens do you want to lead well my, my number 10 is wolfenstein 2 is it the new colossus or something like yeah. that <laughs> whatever um, as we've mentioned before it's this great inclusive funny yeah. cool violent video game <laughs> with a fantastic story and characters you care about yeah great soundtrack and the kind of the kind of plot that just <laughs> had me laughing laughing through my hands like a spoiled child yeah it was wonderful it gets so ludicrous at times it's beautiful it's just endless fun <laughs> it really is i love wolfenstein too yeah okay uh my number 10 is sonic the hedgehog 2 um i'm a big fan of mario i have to say the war is over we can all get together and be friends um and i'm really enjoying <laughs> super mario odyssey which is a fabulous game but yeah sonic the hedgehog 2 best platformer for me pure nostalgia you mentioned sort of the atari being your sort of childhood fame my first console was the mega drive it's the most satisfying platformer it introduces the spin dash which has you know been in every sonic game since and the speed of the thing yeah. with its blast processing on the Mega Drive is just fucking incredible. And finally, just the music by Masato Nakamura is best video game music? <laughs> At least it should be counted amongst. Uh, here's a clip. And another one. And one more. You decide. Yeah. Based only on those three clips of Sonic 2. My number nine is your number seven. Ooh, controversial. My number nine is XCOM mm. 2. Mm. A little cheesy to get this to XCOM 2 rather than XCOM 1, because really all it does is make a few gameplay improvements over the previous one, but I, this is the one I had the most fun playing. Gameplay is just the most rewarding ever. You just you control the squad, you move them in and out of cover, and you get them to shoot aliens. <laughs> that really is it. Or you put them... You yeah. get them so that they automatically shoot an alien if it decides to move. It's turn-based. You play, then they play, character by character. And I just fucking love it. Mm. It's so it's such a rich experience. <laughs> it's probably the only game left in here. Sonic 2 and Ma- XCOM 2 are probably the only two games which are here solely on gameplay alone. There's no real narrative as such, and you don't know your characters. Mm. Um, it's just such a fun game my number eight is what remains of edith finch you yeah going through this abandoned house finding out um about edith edith finch and her family cursed family yes an ancestor of that family it's so inventive the way it tells Mm. the stories um it's it's heavily influenced by the the medium in which the note is left whether it's a journal entry or um all the other ways <laughs> it's it's done um but every every level is more inventive mm. than the last the house itself is this magical kingdom oh, that just keeps expanding and expanding it's just such a joy to play yeah. it's about 4 hours long you can do it in an evening yeah and it's just gorgeous it's gorgeous and it's tremendously sad and have me weeping like a twat come the end <laughs> okay my number 8 is legend of zelda breath of the wild Mm. definitely the newest game on the list and as much as i haven't finished it yet 
But um, <laughs> I'm just loving it so much. So it has aspects of Zelda. Um, it has these okay. colorful characters. It has this incredibly intuitive and diversified control system. Yeah. Uh, with various different mechanics for climbing and jumping and platforming and all the rest of it. And it has a gorgeous sort of cel-shaded, brightly colored aesthetic with a really diverse game world. What's new to, to it from previous Zelda's is it's completely open-ended in terms of its gameplay. You are plonked into the middle of this world. You have a little tutorial and then you're told, hey, go kill Ganon. He's over here on your map. You can do it anytime. Um, mm. And that's it. And the rest is just this giant, massive world where you can go and do anything. And all of it is this really focused experience because everything you're doing, unlike Skyrim, where, you know, you'll take a gap year to go and join the Thieves Guild. Everything mm. you're doing is preparing you for this big fight. It's like a fight montage against Ganon. And oh, cool. everything you do is focused on that. And I just love it. Oh, great. Um, and I'm just really excited by it. Number seven for me is Life is Strange, uh, second indie number on my list. We spoke about this earlier. It, it definitely takes its cue from cinema, I think, but just lends just this amazingly interactive story. Uh, yeah. It's about a girl, realizes that she can she can go 10 seconds back in time and change very small things to have yeah. you know far-reaching consequences. It just spirals from there. The characters are so well written. The the relationships yeah. come come the end when you get to that difficult decision that yeah. you can't get out of. Finishing that game is like losing a friend. Yeah, <laughs> it really is because you just you love these characters so much, and the performances are such yeah. a big part of that. It's yeah, really personal. And speaking of games that make you yeah. love the characters, my number seven is The Last of Us. Mm, my number nine. Yeah, I wanted to include a Naughty Dog. Fran- uh, thing in here and um, The Last of Us for me yeah. just beats out just slightly the Uncharted games just because Uncharted are more fun to play I think but mm. The Last of Us just really had that emotional connection with me and it's all about the character and the way that the gameplay supports that I mean the actual gameplay there's some stealth stuff there's some shooting stuff it's it works well it's it's all fine but it's yeah. the way in which the gameplay encourages natural organic interactions with Ellie you're basically a guy who's mm. in the post-apocalypse. There's some terrible virus that's turning people into zombies. There are packs of, you know, cannibals and, you know, gangs and such. And you have found a yourself in charge of a young girl named Ellie who needs to make it to this resistance base um, because she seems to be immune to the virus and you're going to try and synthesize some sort of cure. Um, so you have to walk through this beautifully decrepit landscape um with her learning about mm. her um and it's the credit goes to ashley johnson who um sort of portrays the character and to the people who designed the ai which is perfect there are so many little things for example at one point you meet two other survivors and mm-hmm. one of them the little boy picks up a toy and um he wants to take it with him but um his dad insists no we've got to keep moving ellie lingers behind and for as long as you're watching her she'll do nothing but the second you look away, she picks up the toy. She absolutely will not pick it up if you're watching her. That's what it is for me, is it's just yeah. a beautiful way of telling its story. The the relationship between the two is just, it's it's so well realized. Yeah. And you just end up caring deeply about it, as, as well as being scared to fuck throughout. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a spooky game. Oh, it's a horror game, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> My number six is your number six, sir. Yes. Bioshock. Infinite. 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 
Um, I was thinking about putting the first Bioshock in originally because uh, it's it's one of the new the new wave at the time first yeah. person shooters that really scared me and mm. had such a great story sort of fantasy sci-fi yeah. aspects with wonderful twists and <laughs> just looked absolutely gorgeous but yeah in terms of story and gameplay i think bioshock infinite just just pips yeah. it because the gameplay itself is so so engaging there's just something so satisfying about about leaping 20 feet into the sky and then coming down on somebody with a short range <laughs> of um, ballistic yeah. weapon and just blowing their faces away <laughs> and it looks incredible yeah and the the ending is one of one of the more devastating mm. endings to a video game that i think i've ever experienced yeah and it's worth noting that for a first person shooter you kill the last enemy about half an hour before the game actually finishes the rest of the time you spend yeah. just sort of experiencing this metaphysical thing and yeah the learning yeah the universe the detail of the world one of my favorite things about it is that you keep hearing this these old timey covers of um songs like um tears for fears um everybody wants to all the world and <laughs> girls just want to yeah. have fun um rem everybody wants to reasoning being is that the people of this world are stealing everything of worth from holes in time so they can hear music through it and just sort of recreate it um which is a beautiful little detail and it's just it's a commentary on Mm. america and the idea of colonialism and faith there's there's so much going on in that game cool you're number five skyrim yay npcs have gotten a bad got gotten a bad rap on ogt (laughs) but uh uh, I mean, ev- everyone knows about Time Suck Tamriel. It's just, it- it's one of the only game that once it loses its replayability for the narrative, it's just fun to grind. It's just yeah. so fun to like the mechanics of of leveling up in several different ways as yeah. you as you sneak uh, as you sneak up on somebody and fire an arrow. Yeah. Then wait for that drum roll as you as you level oh, up man. for several different reasons. It's so yeah. satisfying. Um, it's. It's it's an incredible fast story, and I didn't complete it actually because it glitched. But um, <laughs> but I would have. I've never played a game so expansive. It's just oh, man. it's a landmark in the game in gaming history. I think. Yeah, it really is. Okay, uh, my number five is Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Um, mm. I'm a big fan of the Grand Theft Auto games, and other games, yeah. you know, appealed like GTA Three and um, GTA Five. But GTA Five always felt just a little too mean spirited for my liking, mm. and the thing about Vice City is, after playing GTA 3, which is set in the sort of drizzly New York replica Liberty City, coming to Vice City was just such a refreshing experience of this sort of replication of uh, Miami. Um, mm. And rather than aping off of movies like Goodfellas um, and the like, now you're involved in like Scarface and Carlito's Way, sort of an altogether sunnier experience of her. Uh, the life of crime mm. um i love the city i know it like my hometown <laughs> um it's got the best story of one of these games so it's got a really compelling lead sure. played by ray liotta 
Um, and the story of sort of <laughs> rags to riches is really cool. And I really love the idea of building a little empire. You know, the moment in the game where you buy the Malibu, the big nightclub at the center of the thing. And then you buy the big mansion. Well, you get the big mansion by killing the person who previously had it, which is how mansions work. Getting the movie studio and just getting all these little p- bits and pieces and then doing missions to make them more profitable. It's just mm. so fulfilling to sort of just get your little empire going in this city. Did Ray Liotta's character have that weird thing that he does when he laughs <laughs> and opens his mouth and doesn't move it? And, yeah, and opens his mouth into an expression of extreme pain. And they just cackle loudly <laughs> without moving. No, they didn't. Man- they didn't have the technology to capture that yet. We're still working on it. <laughs> I mean, we don't have the words to describe it, so <laughs> we can't really blame them. Ah, <laughs> oh, what's your number four? Uh, number four is The Witcher Three. Lovely. It is another one of those games with um, myriad options, far-reaching consequences. Um, no two games are the same. Oh God, it's just such a dense, deep story with incredible incredible characters some shaky voice acting from time to time um it look it looks great it's got you it's like the the primer of video games there's so much to learn when you're doing it but after after a while what seems like a steep learning curve just becomes natural and you just be, you just become you just live the life of this witcher um it's con- it's continuing the story of the first two but it has a real uh, nice way of catching you up if you haven't um if you haven't played any of them before, yeah. it's also got the uh, it's got a sex option where you can <laughs> do sex. shag many many of the people. <laughs> it doesn't always end well, which yeah, which I learned the hard way. <laughs> but as in life, my number four is a slightly more limited experience. Um, at least in terms of gameplay, but not psychologically. It's Silent Hill Two, my favorite horror game, hmm. uh, beating out things like Resident yes. Evil Two and Four. The yeah. gameplay is tricky. <laughs> it's um sort of fixed camera trick tank style movements um can take some getting used to not the best combat but that's kind of the point is you're a very helpless figure in this story and what it's about is the Mm. psychology of the whole thing every foe that you face is some manifestation of james's uh, well i should say so the story is about james returning to a holiday resort that he went to with his wife um called silent hill he has received a letter from her saying that she's waiting for him the problem being that she died some years ago so Mm. he goes to find out what the hell's going on and finds that the town is very unusual there's a weird fog over everything uh that really hides the frame rate issues which is uh strange for a small town (laughs) the draw distance i should say and he meets all sorts of eccentric characters including a woman who looks exactly like his wife um and various other sort of hor- horrific monsters that he has to fight. It's just a gorgeous mm. game. It's taking influence. I've seen a video actually saying it's deeply influenced by Tarkovsky's Solaris. And um, there's definitely an wow. angle to that. And it also takes some weird influences. Like the wife and child of the thing are designed to look like the wife and kid from Con Air. With the outfits and everything, <laughs> which is a weird touch. <laughs> necessary touch. A necessary touch. Yeah, and it's just, it's so great exploring and running around this little town seeing these horrific things mm. it has pyramid head one of the most iconic video game enemies ever who represents james's mm-hmm. sort of repressed sexuality and sort of maybe idealized version of masculinity that stalks him and threatens to penetrate him with his massive sword there's a lot going on there and it's a really just great horror game and a really great psychological experience my number three is uncharted 4 thief's end Woo. i have not played uncharted 1 2 or 3 ah and I love this all the same. Uh, yeah. Following on the story of Nathan Drake, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> it is testament to its quality that it, I didn't need to play yeah. the first three. Mm. It's Indiana Jones, the video game, done perfectly. 
the characters are great it's funny it's actually mm. funny and it made me mm. like the characters it was just fun from beginning to end the the gameplay mechanics were wonderful and it had some really breathtaking sequences that um i just wish that i could play it again for the first time because <laughs> really wowed me yeah it's a stunning game it has such a uh, versatile control mechanism the gunfights feel good the climbing feels good mm. the exploring feels good yeah. and i i really like how mm. both uncharted 4 and the lost legacy both had really great open worlds for you to sort of wander around and explore mm. at various points and i really appreciated the ludo narrative dissonance chivo <laughs> that you get when you kill a thousand people because <laughs> he's such fun. a nice guy <laughs> he's so nice oh yeah. man a great series of games and i'm glad they made the fourth yeah. one because uncharted 3 was a bit of a letdown in terms of the story so kind of a oh, retread okay. of uncharted 2 so i'm glad that they came back and actually finished his story in such a satisfying way okay my number three is portal 2 mm, yeah fantastic. i really love indie puzzle games like braid and thomas was alone i don't think portal 2 is indie it was made by valve for god's sake but um mm. i love puzzle games and this is the most satisfying puzzler ever because the solving a puzzle feels fucking amazing um, you play a yep. character who's trapped in a lab with uh, at least two psychotic AIs <laughs> and you have to try and escape. And you do yes. so with a gun that allows you to shoot one portal into one wall and another portal into another. And all things are possible using these physics, just using one yep. to sort of propel yourself further or to redirect the flow of something. Portal 2 introduces lots of different mechanics with like different goos that you need to spread around the place that will force you to interact with them differently, mm -hmm. like being bouncy or making you speed up. And it's just the best story. Um, Portal 1 was a bit short um, and it only hinted at the sort of lore behind it. In Portal 2, mm -hmm. you sort of go climbing around the basement and discovering the past of Aperture Science and how GLaDOS mm -hmm. became GLaDOS. And it's just, oh, I love it. And she's with you for quite a bit of the game, and she's a great it's, character. Yeah. I was researching sharks for an upcoming test. Do you know who else murders people who are only trying to help them? Did you guess sharks? Because that's wrong. The correct answer is nobody. Nobody but you is that pointlessly cruel. And Wheatley. Wheatley is so much fun. So funny. Played by. Is he played by Stephen Merchant? Or is it um the other one, Greg Wallace? Yes! Wait, what if this hurts? What if this really hurts? Oh, I didn't think of that. Oh, it will. Believe me, it will. Are you are you just saying that, or is it really going to hurt? You're just saying that, aren't you? You're just... No, you're not. You are, it is going to hurt, isn't it? Exactly how painful are we... Ah! No, it's Stephen Merchant. Yeah. He's perfect in this for the role. It's such a fun story. Valve, man. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Half-Life 2. Oh, well. <laughs> oh, well, fuck it. Probably should have been in my top 10. Let's just pretend. <laughs> God, they banged on about Half-Life 2 for ages. <laughs> That's true. Oh, well. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> what is number two for you, sir? What's much better than Half-Life 2 for you? Your, your number one. <gasps> better leave it then. My number two is Fallout 3, and specifically the Game of the Year edition. Okay. Uh, Got to have those expansions. Right. It's such a rich RPG. In terms of developing your character and turning them into the person you want them to be, there's so many different options in terms of powering them up. Yeah, it was. The, uh, I should say this. it was this or Skyrim, really. They were very close, and I didn't feel I should have both, but um, mm. Fallout 3 just pipped it for me just because i have so many great memories associated mm. with it there's so many great side quests and little encounters and incidents that can happen in this rich world yeah. it's basically a post-apocalyptic role-playing game that's kind of it your dad goes missing 
He's Liam Neeson. Yeah. And you have to go find him. Twist. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love the karma system. It's very satisfying. Yeah. It's, very, it's a very fun sort of metric. And I love finding the other vaults because the idea is everybody disappeared into vaults mm. uh, when the end of the world came. But the people who made them, vault Tech, were actually just using it as an excuse to conduct some hideous social experiments on everyone. Yeah. And they're so well thought out. And yeah, oh, I, I love it. My number one. Your favorite game of all time. Crash Bandicoot. <laughs> also Final Fantasy VII. As well. Tied first place. Yep. <laughs> Equal first place. Couldn't split them up. Where where to begin? The game that I have completed upwards of 15 times. <laughs> like Christopher Lee and Lord of the Rings, I've played it once a year pretty much since it came out in 1997, I think. Can't stop Christopher Lee from playing Lord of the Rings. <laughs> he loved it. <laughs> loved but he also he also loved that Matrix game that came out. He just loved the bullet time. <laughs> just bloody loved it. He's like, look at look at this. I press a button and whoosh. <laughs> no. Fucking terrifying. <laughs> now I control time. I am the master. <laughs> and then he did control time. Do you remember that? Remember when we had to <laughs> capture Christopher Lee? Christopher Lee's time. Final Fantasy VII. It blew my mind when I was 11 or something. Um, I also love Final Fantasy VIII, but we, we agreed on a one per, you know, one per franchise. Yeah. But it was the first, the first RPG that I played knowingly, I think. The first, yeah, <laughs> definitely the first one that I played knowingly. You got tricked into it a few times. It's, I think I got Hang I got on. tricked into Grandia and um, Alundra as well. Oh, never made that mistake again. <laughs> but it looks gorgeous. The character, the characters themselves are these little blocky dudes, and they look a bit goofy. But they're all these beautifully rendered two D environments. It's a turn based role playing game. It's the best that the Final Fantasy battle system ever was. After that, they tried to overcomplicate it and then got rid of active time battles to begin with, which for me was one of the reasons. I loved it so much. The soundtrack for me is the best movie soundtrack of all time. Um, there have since been multiple orchestral recordings of it. It's it's really doing doing the rounds as you know something truly incredible. Like this piece. And this piece. And this piece. What can I say? Even as a 13-year-old, I was in tears at some of the moments. The ending was baffling to my tiny teenage mind. And it wasn't scared of an ambiguous ending. And, yeah. and, a, and a kind of dark ending, which <laughs> surprised me at age thirteen. And I think I can, mm. I think I can talk about the ending in, in tone now because I doubt anyone's going to go back and play it at this stage who already hasn't. I'm still waiting for you to play it, Paul. But I'll get there. Never mind. It's on the pile. Yeah, <laughs> I've got to finish Dying Light Two first. Oh, that's fair. <laughs> but it's it's just ev- everything that a game should be for me. When when the story is that good, when you care that much about the characters, and when the the battle system is so innovative and Everything, everything just works, and the fact that I can play it time and time again, I don't, I don't need graphics. Although at the t- at the time, the graphics were groundbreaking, and yeah, one of the first games to be on more than one disc. It just did mm. a lot of things, and yeah, absolutely. Oh, I sound like a Smiths fan now, but <laughs> video games died after that. No, but <laughs> it sure did. Yeah, just truly wonderful. Lovely. My favorite mm. game of all time remains Mass Effect Two. 
No clips, just me doing this. Um, <laughs> Good enough. Are you sold? You should be sold. It's yeah. all about the world and character. You are Commander Shepard, you're in control of a ship. Um, weird aliens are attacking. The elusive man, played by Martin Sheen, has tasked you with building a team and going on an incredibly dangerous mm. mission to go and stop the bad guys. That's it. That's yeah. all it is. And after the first yeah. hour of gameplay, the finish mark is just handily put on a map for you. Yep. Just, hey, when you're ready to finish, go here. As long as you're playing medium <laughs> difficulty. <laughs> oh, everyone will die. But... <laughs> yeah. You could, in theory, just go here. Yeah, and, and that's it. And the rest is just up to you. You you have to go and recruit. You don't have to go and recruit, but you you can go and recruit yeah. all of these different people. It tells you where they all are. Uh, the characters are just what makes this for me. They're so fucking great. I love every member of that team. You can go, you can recruit them, you can have these sort of conversations with them you can romance a few of them mm-hmm. the different races are so much fun it's yeah. got a really great sense of humor the whole thing yes yeah um stuff like the eldar action movie there's the eldar right who uh, was that the hanar who's who just say what they're they don't have any inflection in their oh, voices so they yes. say it first but yes. elcor yeah fuck quiet quietly <laughs> angry <laughs> we do this by the book you may carry the book while this one opens another excretion vent on the Fortune Ambassador. Badass fully. Damn it. Yeah, it it, re- it really is great. It's got a real great cast of voice actors, including uh, yeah. Seth Green. Oh, yes, it's Joker. Yeah, yeah it's Joker. The Joker. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what's uh, as Christopher Tr- Nolan's The Joker. <laughs> yep. Uh, <laughs> Trisha Helfer as the uh, ED, the AI on the ship. Oh, lovely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and many others, I'm sure. But it's, Martin Sheen, though, as yeah. really does kind of steal the show as the sort of bad guy, the elusive man. Oh, who's yeah. So coolly confident. Really, it's really cool he agreed to do it. Um, it's, it's brilliant. Yeah. Great, it? And it's just that's that's one of the first times that I realized, hey, video games can be art because we've got we've got Martin Sheen. <laughs> that's but, how the dictionary yeah. defines art. Where Martin <laughs> Sheen is. Yeah. Soundtrack was great. Um, I loved the Paragon Renegade. They, they, it got more and more complex as the series went on, and um, I loved all the little the interventions you could make that would up your Paragon or Renegade score, which would sometimes be putting a hand on someone's shoulder and convincing them not to sacrifice themselves for a meaningless cause, or just punching yeah. a woman in the face because <laughs> space is progressive, right? It is progressive. It's got it's very inclusive. It's yes. for everyone. And the, yeah, one of the only other games that I've completed more than ten times. Just endless yeah endless joy i mean i completed mass effect 2 after a couple of days and got a really bad ending like a number mm. of my crew died yes uh, it should be said the ending how many of your crew members survived depends on your actions within the game yeah and i was sitting there watching the credits and i imme- i looked it up was like hey that's a pretty dark ending does did everybody's love interest die and they were like no no, no you had to do better yeah no you did shit so at the like, game oh Oh, it was my fault she's dead. <laughs> yeah. Okay, then. And I immediately started a new game, like, straight away. And I've, I can't think... I've done that maybe with one other game. Just started again mm. right after the credits, just so wow. I could do it right. And three days later, I got the best ending. Like, Oh, yeah. Suffice just, to say, so compulsive. that didn't happen with my game. <laughs> Saved everyone, bitch. <laughs> Killed everyone first time, left it. 
One and done. <laughs> Shepard survived. <laughs> that's all I. That's all it's I. Just, it's just him in a, like a hero's return to Earth. Just him <laughs> in a car, <laughs> waving at a crowd. <laughs> Gavis's hand hanging from his leg. <laughs> yeah, clapping uneasily. Oh, great! Those are our cool. favorite games ever, probably. Let's talk about the one better thing. The one better thing. Movies, obviously. The one better thing. Thank you for listening to One Good Thing About Gaming. Uh, I hope you like this episode. It's the first of a short-run series we've planned to uh, have a quick look at other media. Um, Episode 77, we're going to look at music, I believe. Yeah. And then episode 87, we're going to have a look at literature. And we're going to just sum those up in the same way we just did for gaming. Yeah. No need to revisit any of that. So just to clarify, in any given 10 episodes, episode 0 is a defense of episode... (laughs) Episodes 1, 2, 3, and 4 are recommendations. Episode 5 is something from the vaults. Episode 6 is a thematic episode. Episode 7 is different media for the next three decades. Mm. And 8 and 9 are very unique because those are regular episodes. (laughs) Wow. I look forward to those. They're refreshing. Well, (laughs) you say that. You know what we've chosen for next week. So don't don't go fucking giving it it a big one. Giving it large. I'll show you the back of my hand. Or maybe an open palm. Who's to say? Who is to say? Let's find out. Come back next week to find out what Goodman's got to show me. <laughs> and it's not my balls. <laughs> glad I got this time. To, glad I got to mention that once. Well, that just about does it. I'm Paul Salt. I'm Paul Goodman. And remember, one good thing about video games is that it does momentarily distract you from how utterly fucking meaningless everything is. Or maybe it enhances that. Either way, it's a good.